0: If we are able to remain standing, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Colossians chapter 2. This is the word of our Lord. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say... Lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see glorious things concerning your word, enable us to grow in in you even as we consider the teachings of the Bible. For us in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In a few moments, we're going to receive some new converts, as it were, to the church and baptize a family. A bit of a, a little bit of a prodigal son sort of a, a story uh, going on here, and you might ask, so why not speak on the prodigal son? <laughs> it fits well in, in ephesians uh, Luke 15 well, because I want to take the opportunity to talk about raising our children pretty soon we're going to baptize a whole bunch of children and uh, you know, we know that uh, the minimum requirement for membership here is four children. Uh, no, so there's no, 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 none of that. Sometimes it's felt like that, that way. Um, we have ch- a lot of children here. We have, of all ages, from age zero to um, 18, and uh, different levels of parenting. And we need to invest in that because that is the next generation of Psalm 78. We receive the things that we we see the things from the previous generation and then we pass on to the next generation so that they can pass on to the next generation. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Judges chapter 2, verse 10, where whoever wrote Judges makes a comment saying that once the generation that had seen the works of the Lord died, the next generation rose who did not know the Lord. May it never be said of us, that the next generation did not know the Lord because we neglected to pass that on uh, to them. And the thing we have to keep in mind is that teaching and learning take place every waking hour of every day. We're never not teaching or learning. We're never not influencing or being influenced. And influence is never completely devoid of morality. Everything that we take in, everything that comes out, states something about ethics and morality and faith and and God himself. And we are being pushed and we push one way or another every moment of every day, even when we are by ourselves. And there is at least two dangers in this teaching and learning process in this influencing and being influenced process that we, may, we need to be aware for ourselves and also for our kids. The first one is that we are not aware that this is the, the case. We may go through life thinking that we live in somewhat of a neutral place and that things are neutral and we don't have to be aware of how we're being influenced in that way. It is very dangerous. When we don't realize that this is going on all the time, that we are being influenced and influencing people all the time, that we never take a break from that. We need to be aware of that. The second danger that we might find ourselves in is realizing that this process of influencing and being influenced is going on all the time and then not doing anything about it, not actively and purposefully engaging in that process of influencing and being influenced, of teaching and learning. So I want us to think about this reality in the context of raising our kids. And before I fall into the current plagiarism, plagiarism controversy that has kind of engulfed the Southern Baptist Convention, I'll tell right off the bat: I'm a cop. I have no original idea in my brain. I may not know exactly where I got it, but it's not original. I'll tell you that. But all the good things I'm going to say here today came from Ted and Margie Tripp's book, Instructing Your Children's Heart. Not shepherding your child's heart, but instructing your child's heart. And if I say something that's weird and doesn't make sense, those are the things that came from my own head, not from uh, the trip. So you keep that in mind. I also encourage you who are not currently raising children, and I want you to think very broadly of children. If you have kids still living at home, I'm putting you in the category of raising children still. But I encourage you who are not currently raising children to stay engaged with this message. As a church community, we are all involved in raising the raising of the children of the church. We all have roles in the lives of our children. Remember back when, uh, I think when President Clinton was still the president, and uh, maybe she was a senator, Hillary Clinton said, that it takes a village to to raise a child. And her mindset was to remove the child from the family and let the government raise the child. That was the village she had in mind. Well, we don't think that's the case, but a good church helps quite a bit. And the raising of the children. Not only that, we all must be aware of the influences in our own lives. How am I being influenced and how am I influencing others? So stay engaged. Follow along. We're gonna spend the next at least next two to three times I preach on this issue. Of this subject of raising children. But I believe everything I'm going to say will have an impact on each one of your lives if you stay engaged with what I'm saying and think through that. As we look at all the influences in our lives, as we categorize them, I think we can categorize them into two labels, two drawers. Uh, all, All the influences, all the ideas, we can put in two drawers. I like organizing stuff. I like numbers because they stay in line and organized most of the time. Uh, So the idea of organizing things in two drawers makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, If you're not a drawer person and you open your drawer and everything's messed up inside of it, then uh, this might not help you very well. But you can put two labels, two categories. One is biblically accurate influences. And the other is ungodly influences. All the influences in our lives and all the influencing we do can fall under one of these two labels. And there is no third category. So, by, so so our kids are either being formed. Now people talk about the formative years, the years that you're shaped and start becoming who you are. So our children are either formed by the Bible or they are formed by empty philosophy of the world, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Those are the only two formative forces in, the lives, in our lives and lives of our children. And, and don't, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. There is a competition for the minds and hearts of our children. That competition is going on right now, and the opposition is relentless. The, the, the opposition never stops. So, how can parents compete with the world for the minds and hearts of their children? Because the competition is real. And if you're not competing, somebody else is competing for your children's hearts and for your children's minds. Because somebody else is competing also for your heart and for your mind. And I think as we ask that, how can we compete for the hearts of our children? For the minds of our children, I think there's two fundamental answers. First, we must identify the enemy and acknowledge his troop strength. Uh, for the last period of uh, Scott Hollander's career in the military, his assignment was troop strength. He had to make sure that every base or whatever the sector he's in charge of had enough. Soldiers and have enough cooks and enough you know, and move people around and so on, so that the, the each base had its right troop strength. Because in order to fight a war, you have to be at the right level. So the first thing we'd have to, to figure out as we battle, as we fight, as we war for our children's hearts and minds is who is the enemy and what is his troop strength. The Bible is clear who the enemy is. The enemy. Anim- Enemy is. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's what Satan wants to do with us and our children, to devour us, destroy us. The, the analogy of war is very appropriate here. We are engaged in a war. Uh, Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 6, as we saw not too long ago. Uh, in Ephesians 6, it says that Satan has an army at his disposal. Ephesians 2 tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of this world. And he has his minions that do his bidding there. And sometimes parents, even sincere Christian parents, will feed and house the enemy in the form of worldly culture, and think that somehow they can contain its influence on their family. The idea that they can have a fire burning inside of your corn maze, as it were, and the maze is not going to catch on fire. That can't happen. James says in James 4.4, 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is empty with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So who is our enemy? And what is his troop strength? Our enemy is the devil. And he has plenty of minions to go after the hearts and minds of our children And our own hearts and minds. And secondly, another way that we answer the question, how can we compete for the hearts and minds of our children, is this. We must become skilled at using biblical formative instruction as an offensive and defensive weapon against the enemy of our children's soul. We need to know how to use, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit. Literally Paul says there in Ephesians six seventeen, take up the sword of the Spirit. Uh, a joke that I grew up with in Brazil uh, it was this that now how do you tell the difference between a Roman Catholic Bible and a Protestant Bible? And now theologians will say, oh, there's seven extra books and portions of the books in the Roman Catholic Bible. Uh, it's a different translation. It's from the Latin into Portuguese instead of from Greek and Hebrew. And none of those are the answer. The answer is, they say, is that the Roman Catholic Bible smells like dust. <laughs> and that the Protestant Bible smells like armpit. Why, why, why is that joke made? There's a kernel of truth there. Now, the, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Bible the reading is not encouraged, so it sits on the shelf and gathers dust. But at least in Brazil, the Protestant Church was recognized as a church that carries its Bible around for everyday life. And that's why it smells like armpit. <laughs> because it's used. It's, it's thumb through. It's read I dare say that though that is a joke that was true in my growing up, it's not currently true in, uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ. Our Bibles have smell more like dust these days than they do like armpit. But if we're seriously about fighting for the minds and hearts of our children, this book has become second nature to us, to every one of us, not just to the expert, to the scholar but to every one of us. We are to be the kind of people, if we're serious about the minds and hearts of our children, that every time somebody bumps into us, Bible comes out. What overflows from us is this book. Is the words of life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is like a powerful A weapon, a a two-edged sword, able to penetrate and divide the indivisible, laying the heart open before all things. So if we want the minds and the hearts of our children, which I hope we do, then this book has to be second nature to us. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon repeatedly warned his sons to avoid bad counsel and to take his wise counsel. Can we say that with Solomon, that we're so filled with the wisdom of God, which is his word in Jesus Christ, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that when our children come to us, the counsel we give is wise from the scriptures. In Proverbs 1.10, the Pro, the, the Solomon says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then he says, a wise man will hear and increase learning, a man of understanding will attain Wise counsel. That's what we do. We attain wise counsel primarily from this book. And as we fight for the, the minds of our children and, and the hearts of our children, this is the weapon that we must use to fight for that. And the encouragement that the Scriptures give us is this. is that As we battle for the hearts and minds of our children, we are assured of eternal victory because our Savior has already conquered his and our enemy. When God says He's our God and the God of our children, He is not joking about it. He's serious about it. And He uses you and me as the people of God, as parents, to accomplish that very promise that He gave to His, to his church. And as we think of the enemy... goes beyond just saying that Satan is the enemy. Satan has very, many agents in this culture. Let me ask you this. Who is the main... Who instructs? Who is the main instructor in our majority culture? Who is teaching what? Who is teaching who? I think the answer is everyone and everything. That, that, no, that's who is teaching. All media are in the business of influencing Everyone. And I mean media, not in uh, all means of communication, that's what I mean by media, is in the business of influencing everyone. And this world, and this is important, Christian, this world is not friendly to God and His Christ. This world is not even neutral toward God and His Christ. This world is in opposition to God and His Christ. We're not in a neutral uh, world. In, in describing our former self in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, Paul describes the world when he says, And you, he made alive, that's us, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to what? To the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what the word is described as those who are operating by the principles of Satan, and that's everyone outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do they teach? What is it that the enemy teaches? Well, the message is repackaged to look attractive to the current generation, but the content is always the same. Be autonomous from God. Live as if God doesn't exist. Better yet, live as if you are God. The Self is the most important thing. That's, that's always been the message from Satan from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The messengers of this world tell us and our children how to think about life themselves and other people and God with the self at the center of everything. We are the most important person. I am the most important person. And everything should move to serve me. They teach that authority and biblical values are repulsive. That's what our current culture teaches. Anything that's to do with the Bible, any form of authority, that's repulsive. It's to be get gotten rid of. is to be denied even the ability to exist. And the world's classroom is deceptive. The whole world and every situation are a big classroom. And Psalm 1 speaks of that when it says that there's only three things you're not supposed to do in the Council of the uh, 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 According to the world, right? You're just the only thing. Three things you're not supposed to do is walk, stand, and sit. And what, what the psalmist is saying there is, don't find yourself in the counsel of the world of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But this is difficult because the world's classroom is deceptively attractive. To us, it's, the classroom is shiny and attractive. John, in First John, speaks of it in terms of the lust of the flesh and the lust, lust of the eyes and the desire, the pride of life. So who we, we, we get excited about the shiny things that this world classroom has to offer, but it's the deceptive. Remember, it's a deceptive classroom. Remember what Paul says concerning our enemy. That he can even appear as the angel of light, as something that seems super attractive to us. But his end, his goal, is our destruction. So parents, provide biblical, formative instruction to your children. I can't overstate the importance of parental formative instruction. We are always teaching our children. Every second of every day, we are teaching our children. Our every response and engagement with life uh, is teaching uh, teaching our kids. Uh, Our behavior and our love teach our children. How we spend our money and time teach our children. And God calls us to be deliberate in our teaching. Not as a single event, but as a lifetime of interaction that is based on God's revelation, His Word. But our commitment to the Word of God cannot be just so that we can teach our children. That can no. Oh, I'm going to read the Bible so I can tell my kids what to do. That's not the commitment that we have to the Scriptures. Our teaching has to be the result of a life-changing commitment to everything God says in the Bible. Because otherwise, we are just hypocrites. We're trying to get our children to do something that we are really not convicted of. And this is imperative to form our children in godliness. So parents, instruct your children with biblical, formative instruction. Why? Because God has spoken. God's Word teaches us how to understand all human knowledge, all human experience, in the light of His existence and His involvement with His creation through Jesus Christ. Our objective in teaching our children, is not simply to ensure that they are not criminals or do well in life. That's not our goal. Our, our objective in teaching our kids is not simply that they get into a good college or that they chew with their mouth closed. Though that's a good thing to do because it's kind of repulsive otherwise. But that's not our ultimate goal in life. That's, we're not just to make them have their best life. No, that's not our main goal. Our desire is that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul. That is our goal in parenting. So formative instruction is rooted in the scriptures, because it's in the scriptures that we learn to love the Lord our God with every ounce of our being. So if your desire for your children, if your desire for your children is indeed that they love the Lord their God with every ounce of their being, have you examined everything you do in light of that desire? Is your life in the sight of your children lived? and inside of God Himself lived with that purpose in mind, that as a result of how you live, they can love the Lord their God with all their being? Are there things in your life that contradict your stated desire and goal? So parents, teach your children because God speaks. He has spoken. And because He has spoken, parents must speak. As parents, it is our divinely appointed task to praise God's works to the next generation. In Psalm 145, verse 4, the psalmist says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You, parents, cannot keep silent. And we are not at liberty to use some other standards than the Bible. If what I am going to say next was true of the old, old covenant word, How much more true is it of the new covenant word? In Deuteronomy 32, Moses instructed instructing the Israelites about to cross in the promised land. And this is what he says about the Bible and its relationship to the family. He says in chapter 32, verses 46 and 47, And he said to them, Set your hearts and all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to obey, all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you. And then he says, because, referring to these words, it is your life. Parent is the word of God revealed to you through Jesus Christ, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, your life. The life-giving word of God must be processed, applied and taught with love so that our children learn how to put that word into practice in the circumstances of their own lives. Parents, your words carry weight because you have been commissioned by the living God to speak to your children. You have been commissioned as a mouthpiece of God in the lives of your children. Don't be silent in your children's lives. If you are, you're going to be the only one silent in your children's life, Because everybody else, everything else in this world will be trying to influence your children. The church is super important in raising children. I'm a big fan of church. I hope you've noticed that through the years of ministry here. But it cannot replace you. The church cannot replace you. Formative instruction and discipline are given to the parents. And it's important that we realize that formative instruction is not the same as discipline. Formative instruction must be happening all the time. Discipline should be applied only when behavior needs to be corrected. And if you only, the only time we instruct our children is when they need discipline, we're using the Bible as a club. Right? We're hitting our children with the Bible as it were. Remember, the Word of God is not a club. The Word of God is a treasure. You now, there, There's something that happens when you bring your baby home from the hospital or from a birthing center or from exit 125 on (laughs) I-5 or whatever place uh, your baby is is born. Whether it is the first child or the fourth, your life is instantly changed. All kinds of emotions go through you. Joy, fear, and probably the most prevalent one, just plain exhaustion. But one thing we can be sure is that the child we just brought home is a gift from God. And we are called to raise that child for the glory of God. And I want to say a word even for those of you who are adopted. You know, and I don't mean that, know, I don't want to put biologically, you know, biological children down, but the parents were stuck with the children that were born into their family. They didn't choose them necessarily. You know, it's not like... But when you were adopted, your parent went out of their way to pick you. Much like what God does for us. They They put their name on you. You are mine, and you're going to be called by my name. That is a glorious reflection of what God does for us. And I hope this sermon was a blessing and encouragement to you. It may have been discouraging to some of you. Remember this. God is not looking for perfect parents. He is looking for forgiven sinners who are faithful to the Lord Jesus. He is looking for parents who daily repent of their sins and rely on the grace of God for every moment of every day. Uh, Pastor um, uh, Joel Beakey, in his book, uh, Parenting by God's Promises, says this. It reflects my experience as well. We all need help in parenting. The only perfect parents I know are those who have no children. How true this is. God is not looking for perfection in you. He already has that in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is looking for faithfulness that His grace produces in your life as you battle, as you sweat for the heart and the minds of your children. May He give us the grace to be faithful in that battle. Let us pray together. Father, children are a heritage from You. We thank You for all our children, young or old. And we pray that as a church we'll be faithful in influencing them. We pray, Father, that all of us would be faithful in receiving what one generation gives to us and passing on to the next generation. That for a thousand years we can have lines of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.